Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Colossians chapter 1, reading verses 23 to the end of the chapter. Reading, of course, from the authorized version, a most faithful and reliable translation of the Holy Scriptures. Let, let us hear the word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. And the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now this morning... We are returning to our expository studies in the book of Colossians. And today my text is taken from Colossians 1, verses 26 and verse 27. And I've entitled this theme today, Understanding the Great Glorious Mystery of Christ. From Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, right through to Colossians 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul is writing about himself in the first person. Look at the words in verse 23 at the end of the verse. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And in this whole section, we are given a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's life and work. He's talking about his work. He's talking about his calling into the work of the ministry. Now, if we ask the question, what is his work? We could say this, that his life's work is bound up in the ministry of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, from the beginning, from the first day the Apostle Paul got saved in the Damascus Road, he exercised a most faithful, fruitful ministry of the word of God. Now, two weeks ago, we thought about Paul's fruitful and faithful ministry. We saw him as a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, as a faithful sufferer of Jesus Christ, and we clothed with Paul as a faithful steward of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, as we continue to look into this long, complicated sentence, a sentence that runs from the end of verse 21. If you look at verse 21, uh, you will see there, uh, uh, or verse 20, you, you'll, you'll see there's a full stop. And then from verse 21 right through to verse 29, 
at the end of 29, you'll see the next full stop. So verse 21 through to 29, nine verses, is a long, complicated sentence. And as part of the sentence, Paul introduces us to a subject that he calls in verse 27, our rich and glorious mystery. And that rich and glorious mystery was a fundamental part of the gospel that he preached. Notice what he says in verse 25. And we'll quote the words here. For off I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now remember the word dispensation is not a reference to a period of time. It can mean that, but not in this context. I ask you to think of how did Paul become a minister? Why did he become a minister? Well, here's the answer. According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. What's he saying? I'm a minister of the gospel, not because I volunteered or promoted myself or passed a test or was qualified and approved by a team of men. No, I'm a minister because God granted me the privilege by divine appointment, by divine arrangement, to be the minister of God to you in Colossae. Now, God having put me into the ministry, Paul says, he did so for this reason, that I might fulfill the word of God. And in the margin, that means that I might fully preach the word of God. You see, Paul was being very specific. He was being definite. When he thought about preaching fully the word of God, what was he to preach? Now look at verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the word mystery is used some 27 times in the New Testament. You should look it up. Think about the mystery of godliness. Think also about the mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians. The Greek word, mysterion, the Apostle Paul, out of the 27 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, he used the word 20 times. And 10 of these are found between Ephesians and Colossians. Six in Colossians, or, or six in Ephesians and four in Colossians. Now, let's ask this question. What is this rich, glorious mystery that Paul mentioned? How are we to understand it? What's it all about? Now, I believe it's important that we try and grasp and understand this mystery. There's lots of confusion. There's lots of different opinions of men. But we're going to stick to the Bible this morning. We're going to try and let the Bible speak uh, for the next 20 minutes. All right? So here's the first thing. I want you to think of the essence of the mystery defined. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to the saints. So we'll think about the word mystery. You see, when you think of the word mystery, you probably think of a hidden secret. Maybe even think of something eerie, something frightening, something mysterious. 
a riddle, a puzzle to be solved. You maybe even think of the concept of a, a secret knowledge to be discovered. You see, that was the idea and the concept that the false teachers had in their mind when they used the word mystery. A secret hidden from the masses, but only disclosed and revealed to a select, elect group. A secret teaching rite, a secret ceremony connected to religion, but hidden from the masses and revealed to a very exclusive group. And as I've said, the false teachers in Paul's day were fond of talking about the mystery. You might be saved. You might have Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you know nothing about the mystery. You must join our group so we can impart that knowledge to you. We can give the inner secret of special knowledge. Don't you disclose to those that join the group. We could apply that today to mystery religion all over the world. We could even apply it to the mysteries of Freemasonry. We could apply it to false cults. But I want to tell you this morning, now listen to me carefully, that is not how Paul used the word. That's not how Paul understood it. That's not how it's to be defined in the New Testament. You see, in the heart and mind of Paul, when he said, even the mystery, he would have us understand that he was writing about a precious truth. A truth that would remain a mystery, remained unknown, unless the living and the true God chose to reveal it to him and to others. You see, the mystery, here's the definition of it, was a divine, holy, sacred secret, hidden in the past, concealed in the past, but now fully revealed. And if you think about the essence of the mystery defined, this mystery that was hidden in the past has now been fully revealed in the fullest sense of the word. Because this mystery has now been translated into an historical reality. So if I put it simply for the young people and the children to understand, the mystery is a divine truth that was hidden in the past, but that divine truth is now being heralded because God has revealed it in the historical reality of the New Testament. I hope that's clear. The mystery is a divine truth formerly hidden and now heralded forth by the Apostle Paul and others. So it was formerly concealed in olden time but now it's been fully revealed. Okay? So that's the essence of the mystery defined. The second thing is this, and I want you to bear with me this morning because I've tried to simplify. This is a very, very um, complex um, truth that I'm trying to reveal to you at this time. I want you to think secondly, not only of the essence of the mystery defined, but think of the exposition of this mystery disclosed. You see, if you look carefully at verse 26 and verse 27, there's seven things connected to this mystery. Now, seven, of course, is the number of perfection. Here's the first thing, and I'm trying to simplify it. The proclamation of this mystery enabled the Apostle Paul to fully preach the word of God. 
I've already pointed you to verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, to fully preach the word of God, to proclaim the whole and full counsel of God. And Paul says this mystery, this revelation of this mystery to me, helps me to complete the sum total of God's revelation to man. Because this mystery is central and an integral part of the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel. So in order to fully preach the word of God, I must include this mystery. The second thing is this. This mystery has been hid from ages and generations. If you look at the text, even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations. That means hidden a long time. That takes us back to the Old Testament, the beginning, the patriarchs, the prophets, King David, King Saul, King Solomon, the major prophets, the minor prophets. In other words, ages and generations ago, this mystery has not been disclosed and revealed unto man. Now, let me point out that the mystery was present in the Old Testament era, in the uh, heart and mind of God, in the plan of God. This mystery was also revealed, at least in part, prophetically. But it wasn't actually being historically realized. You see, it could not be known until God himself chose to make it known. And that's an important thing that you should grasp this morning. Daniel said there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, but if he chooses not to reveal secrets, that secret will never be known until he chooses to reveal it. So that's the second thing. The third thing is this. This mystery is now made manifest. that This was in Paul's day. In the New Testament era, which began with the glorious doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ in the gospel, this mystery has now been manifested. That means made known. The mystery is manifested with the proclamation of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world. It has been made known and manifested to his saints. It has been divinely revealed by God's design, in God's time, in God's way. It is not kept hidden forever from the masses of men. It's certainly not kept hidden by an elite group of men. Because what was concealed and hidden for a long time has now been fully divinely revealed and heralded abroad for all to hear and all to see. It has been proclaimed far and wide for men to see and hear, but of course it's only understood by those who are born again by the Holy Spirit. This mystery, fourthly, is manifest to his saints. Notice the words here. It says in the text, but now is made manifest to his saints. That is to all who are saved, all who are born again. Why? Because this mystery displays and discloses the richness 
of God's glory. God, of course, is forever glorified. God's glory is connected to the full revelation of himself in his glorious trinity. But it's also God's glory to conceal a truth, to hide a truth away. It's to God's glory to choose to whom he will reveal that truth. You see, this mystery reveals something of the wonderful character of the Lord to his people in that he has chosen in New Testament times to manifest this fully to his saints. Notice also, fifthly, this mystery is made known among the Gentiles. Isn't that what he says in verse 27? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jews. Notice it's primarily related to the Gentiles. Gentiles, by and large, are excluded or were excluded from being objects of God's mercy. There's a few exceptions in the Old Testament. We think of the conversion of Rahab. We think of the conversion of Ruth. We think of the conversion of the Ninevites. Turn over there to Ephesians. Ephesians 2. Look with me at verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ. Here's the church at Ephesus and the believers there. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's their former condition before they were saved. They were without Christ. And here's the result of that. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, are made by the, nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In other words, God now has chosen to make known fully what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Gentiles are now, Paul saying, fully included in the rich display of God's glorious grace. Here's the sixth thing. This mystery certifies that the Gentiles are partakers of future glory. Notice the words at the end of verse 27, the hope of glory. In other words, this guarantees not only that the Gentiles will be saved, but the Gentiles will arrive safely in heaven. This mystery, now listen to me carefully, puts the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jewish people. They're also included in God's saving purpose with God's ancient people. Now, I've told you those six things out of the text to tell you this. This mystery centers on Christ and the gospel. Look at verse 27. Now, let's look at the text. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, if you were to ask me, young people, having listened to what I said, that uh, this uh, mystery helped Paul to fully preach the word of God and the revelation of it. This mystery was hidden um, for ages and generations. This mystery is now made manifest by God that is fully disclosed. It's made manifest to his saints. It's made manifest among the Gentiles. And this mystery guarantees that the Gentiles are not only be saved and arrive at heaven, but the Gentiles are put on an equal footing with Jewish people. 
Why? Because this mystery centers on Christ in the gospel. What is this mystery? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That God fully revealed to Paul from his conversion right up to the present time. See, Paul's disclosing to us what the mystery is. Now, it's important that you grasp that because many people don't get it. Many people can't see it. Even preachers can't understand it. If you ask them, what is the mystery that Paul mentions in Colossians 1, 26 and 27, they're going to tell you something different. But the mystery is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, that's what the Apostle Paul has in mind. The mystery is Christ himself. And if you turn over there to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You see, it is Christ himself in all the glorious fullness and all the glorious riches of his person and work actually dwelling and living through his spirit in the hearts and lives of the Gentiles. And in past ages and past generations, this had never been seen. It hadn't been known. But now every true child of God can bear testimony to it. The Colossians themselves were living proof. In Old Testament times, there were predictions and signs of Gentile inclusion. Rahab the harlot, Ruth the Moabites, the conversion of the Ninevites. And the inclusion of the Gentiles heralded forth a message. The Gentiles would one day constitute a part of being the dear people of God. And there's many scriptures, starting in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, Genesis 22, 18, Genesis 26, 4, Psalm 20, 72, verse 8, Psalm 87, Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, Isaiah 60, 1 and 3, Micah 4, 1 and 2. But in God's good purposes, the full realization of all this didn't materialize until the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Gentiles. Christ living and reigning in you on a basis of perfect equality with the ancient children of Israel. Because God broke down the middle wall of partition, having completely removed it. They're not stepchildren. They are full-born children. They're fellow citizens, fellow heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's the exposition of the mystery discussed or disclosed. Now, I want you to think thirdly, the experience of this mystery discussed. Now, keep in mind the heart of this mystery is Christ and the gospel. Ultimately, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what does that mystery involve? It involves this, a divine revelation of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person and work. 
1 Timothy 3 and 16. We're going to look at that in a few minutes in our communion service. You've got to think of the fullness of the person and work of Christ and tease it out from his incarnation to his glorious ascension and return to uh, God the Father as the God-man. It also includes and involves a divine proclamation of Jesus Christ in his personal work. In other words, there's to be the preaching of Christ. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The good news of Jesus Christ. There's also to be a divine realization of Jesus Christ in his personal work. I want you to realize this morning that Jesus Christ came into the world. He was born for sinners. He lived a sinless life for sinners. He bled and died for sinners. And he rose again for sinners. You see, everything Jesus Christ did, he did in behalf of his people. He did in behalf of sinners. All that God the Father had given to him in the covenant of redemption, everything he did, now listen to me carefully, he did as their redeemer. He did as their representative. All that he did, he did for you and me. All he did, he did not only for you and me, but he did as you and me. I want you to think of being in Christ. I want you to think of being in saving union with him. And you see, in union with Christ, we are invested with the merits of Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world of the sinless life, kept the law of God perfectly. And as I've said, all he did, he did for us. He earned righteousness for us. And, and, and that righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account. You see, we're justified before God on the basis, not of our works, but of Christ's work. God could not be holy and justify the sinner without the broken law being fulfilled and its penalty paid. And Christ fulfilled that broken law in his sinless life and paid the penalty in his atoning death. Christ in you. And if you're saved this morning, born again of the Holy Spirit, Christ is in you. We are in a saving legal union with Christ. That's wonderful. But Christ also is living in us by his Spirit. See, when you were born again, a miracle happened. God the Holy Ghost came to live in your heart and life. Perhaps we should think of the hallmarks of this realization. Our bodies this morning in Christ are temples of the Holy Ghost. Oh, that we could realize and experience the indwelling of Jesus Christ by his Spirit through faith. If our bodies are his temple, then let's do nothing to defile the body. Let's do nothing to dim the glory and beauty of Christ in you. Now, what does that mean? Let me tease this out for a few seconds. It means in the Christian life, you'll be separate from the world. You, you'll have done with the trinkets and toys of the world. You'll be totally devoted to Jesus Christ 100%. You, you'll, you'll strive to love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You, you'll strive to be genuinely holy. Your motto will be holiness unto the Lord. You'll hate sin and you'll love righteousness. And whether it's the sin of lust or jealousy or lies or whatever, envy, you'll you, you recognize it for what it is, pride. You, you, you'll, you'll turn from it 
And you'll look to Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You'll also discover the necessity of being daily filled with the Holy Spirit and the need to be anointed for service in the work of God. The command is to be filled with the Spirit. You'll have a passion for lost souls and evangelism. You'll have a burden for your family. You'll have a burden for your neighbors, your community. You'll think of those that live without the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. You'll be earnest in relation to prayer. That's why you'll want to be at the prayer meeting. You'll have a love for the Bible, the Word of God. It'll be your soul food. You'll have a love for the, the house of God and the day of God. You'll have a love for the people of God. And you'll, you'll let that love eclipse all other things that are in your life. Because you'll have this thought in your mind. I live in Christ. And Christ lives in me. That's the mystery. And that's profound. And that's mind-blowing. And that's a wonderful privilege. Young people, if you're saved this morning, and you've said, I've repented of my sin and received Christ as my Savior, then this is the life that you're called to live. Why? Because Christ lives in you. And the life that you live, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You don't become a Jewish proselyte. You don't adopt the Jews' religion. You don't adopt their culture or, or, or their dietary laws. You don't become a Jew. No, you receive Christ. And then Christ comes to live in you. And you become a fellow citizen, a fellow heir, a fellow child. That's, that was the mystery. That's what Paul was called upon to preach. There's a divine realization. There are times almost gone, but let, let one final thing. There's a divine remembrance here. You see, if this mystery was hid from ages and for generations, but is now made manifest to the saints, no natural man has the ability to attain this knowledge of Christ by himself, not by his own power or ability. It's not attained by human intellect, human. Uh, investigation, human scholarship. It's been hidden from natural man. It is revealed by God, by, by, by God's sovereign grace. You see, fallen men believe that all knowledge is attainable. All he has to do is apply himself, apply his mind, his intellect, his will. I could ask this morning, is universal knowledge desirable? Is it attainable? Is it achievable? Well, in some areas, it may be. I have known a man called uh, Wilbur Smith, and he was reported to be the third smartest man in the world when I was in the faith mission in Edinburgh many, many years ago. And you could be um, filled with the knowledge of medicine and the knowledge of maths and the knowledge of motor mechanics and the, 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 the uh, knowledge of many other things but not in a spiritual sense. The Bible says there's none that understandeth, none that seeketh after God. Men are in spiritual darkness. Men are spiritually dead. Their understanding is darkened. That Their will is dead. There's an ignorance of God in their hearts and minds. You see, the gospel, Jesus Christ, is a mystery to the natural man, the natural mind. And the knowledge of God doesn't start with men. It starts with God. 
and a true knowledge of God as God, and a true knowledge of self as self, is the greatest knowledge in the world. But you'll never know God and never truly know yourself until God in sovereign grace makes himself known to you. What does this world need in relation to its history and philosophy and religion? It needs divine revelation. It needs a divine proclamation. The whole world lies in depravity, lies in darkness. And we cannot and we do not know God unless God chooses to reveal himself for us. And maybe I'll add this in closing. We just don't need information. Some people imagine if we just get information out to the people and carried off through the little booklet, maybe through the calendar, maybe through the offering of a Bible, that's all they need. But I want to tell you they need more than that. And this is where we need prayer. They need divine illumination. God must open their eyes and their mind and their heart because they're blind. And what can a blind man see? He can see nothing. They need the light of Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel. They need the power of the word of God. They need the gift of God to see the light. Let's remember this, that the success of the gospel depends on the Lord. God has purchased salvation. Jesus Christ procured it by his cross work. But he also applies it through his spirit. He grants that spirituality. He grants that light and that life and that laying hold of it. It's not only that he procured the obtaining of redemption, but we've got to think about the application. The application is through the gift of God in faith and repentance. The success of the gospel depends on God. And I'll say this in finishing. This is a rich and glorious mystery. Notice that, but nobody says to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What does that mean, the riches of the glory? You, you think of how privileged we are as we finish. Some of us here this morning are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We've got a full and free pardon of all our sins. They're under the blood. We have peace with God. We have the mindset of holiness of life unto the Lord. We're adopted into God's family. God's our heavenly father. Jesus Christ is our Lord and redeemer. We've been reconciled to God. We have access to his throne room. We've got eternal life. We've got assurance of a home in heaven. We've got the knowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit helps us in the journey. This is not mere philosophy. This is not pie in the sky stuff. God, the Bible says, was manifest in the flesh. And because God was manifest in the flesh, then everything else is his doing. And all these privileges he has given to us, even the the treasure trove of truth in the fullness of the gospel, it's all his doing. And we're to grow in that knowledge of the gospel. We're to grow in our knowledge of the person of Christ, grow in the knowledge of the presence of Christ, grow in the knowledge of the power of Christ, the purpose of Christ. You see, there's no hope of glory in heaven apart from the indwelling Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sure and certain. But apart from Christ, apart from knowing that he indwells you, 
you'll never know anything of this rich and glorious mystery. So I ask this in closing. Do you know that you live in Christ? And do you know that Christ lives in you? And these are your privileges because of the indwelling Christ this morning. That's the divine remembrance that we need. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to us this morning. We're going to sing in closing a couple of verses. 390, dear Saviour, thou art mine. And as we sing this, I want you to think of the word mine and ask, do I know that Christ dwells in me by faith? Do I know Christ in me, the hope of glory? And I would encourage you to do something for me. I don't normally ask you to do this. But I want you to listen to this message again online. Some preachers have preached three and four messages. I have tried to incorporate it all in one. But this is a very important subject. And even though it's been long and complicated, and I apologize that I haven't sufficient English to bring it out, but I pray that you'll listen to it and you'll learn from it this morning.